Hey. A um, little bit different today. I just wanted to, just wanted to tell you a couple of little stories. Um, it's Father's Day. And in particular, just to remind you of what God says to you as your father. Um, years ago, you know, I was a police officer and we went looking early one morning for a guy who's a real bad guy. His name's Peter. And after this story took place, Peter was convicted of um, doing a burglary. He was a drug addict. He did a burglary on a house. When he broke into the house, the elderly man who lived there happened to be home. Peter didn't know that. One thing led to another. Peter killed the man. Um, and then proceeded to burgle the house and leave. That, that's the sort of guy he was, you know. He had prior convictions for everything, this guy. Like, he, he, was, he was a drug addict. He had every, everything you could imagine he had prior convictions for. So we went looking for him because we knew that he had done some burglaries. And we had a search warrant for his house in Braybrook. We go knocking on the door. We're banging on the door, you know. So, and no one's answering. We're not far off forcing our way into the house because we know that he's in there. We're not far off forcing him and finally his girlfriend, her name's Angie, she answers the door. And um, when Angie answers the door, we come into the house and I say to her, where's Peter? Because I, I knew these guys, I mean, we, we'd talked to them many times, you know, and she would refer to me, there's a bit of an honour, code of honour amongst some of the criminals, you know, so she'd refer to me as Mr Shepherd. Mr Shepherd, I don't know where he is. I don't know, he left here. And I said, Ange, um, you know that I know that you know where Peter is. Just tell me. No, 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 I don't know where he is. No. And so we start searching the house. And it turns out, you know, like we're finding stolen property in the house and that sort of stuff. And, um, and then I go into this little bedroom and there's this little girl and, um, and she's just, just a young little girl. She's four or five years old. Beautiful, dark-haired girl, you know, brown eyes. And she's lying in bed. And she's there. It's a cold morning. She's got her dinner, dinner around her, you know. And... Um, and I start just, just gently looking through. There, there was a chest of drawers in the corner of the room. You know, I start looking through. And, um, and then she says, Mr. And I turn around. She said, Mr., there's nothing in my room. And I said, look, I know, sweetie, it's all right. I'll just have a quick look and then, I, then I'll put the light off and you can go back to sleep, you know. And then I turn around and I start searching. And Mr., Mr., there's nothing in my room. I said, look, I know just have a quick look and she did it two or three more times she kept telling me mister there's nothing in my room you know I kept putting it and then as I'm searching more she said mister there's nothing under my bed <laughs> I said oh isn't there <laughs> let's just have a little look under your bed <laughs> I looked under her bed and there was a rolled up mattress and would you believe that I looked, up that, uh, looked at that rolled up mattress, it moved. And there was Peter under the bed. So we keep searching the house. We decide now that we've got to take Peter and Angie away because of all the stolen property in the house. So we arrange, someone arranges for the next door neighbour who's this elderly lady. The next door neighbour's going to come and look after the kids. There's a little girl that was in bed and a little baby. And, um, and she's going to look after them 
while we take Peter and Angie to the police station. Yet again, this is a pretty normal occurrence for them. It was a freezing cold morning, it was frosty, it was still, still dark when we left there. And I can remember now, because Peter's got prior convictions for everything, so I've got him handcuffed, and I've got hold of, you know, like the handcuffs in his hands with one hand, and I've got hold of the back of his jeans by the other hand. Because he's not going to escape from me. <laughs> I'm not going to list this happen. And I can still remember, as if it happened this morning, I can remember walking across the front lawn towards where the police car was parked, and we're crunching on the ice of the frost. And then I hear this little voice. And it's calling out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. Look back and here's this little girl and she's holding the hand of the old lady standing beside her, crying out, calling out, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And you know, there's, there's this bond that exists between a father and his child. You, you can't really put words to it, can you? It's this bond that's beyond human description. And even with this guy, even the sort of guy that I just told you that he is and he was, even then, daddy, daddy, daddy. You know, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, Paul the Apostle, he's talking for God and he's talking about, you know, when you come to know Jesus and you come into relationship with him, this is one of the things that happens. It says God's spirit doesn't make us slaves who are afraid of him. Instead, we become his children and we call him Father. Now, you know, when it says there, we call him our father, the language that's used, the ancient language that's used to write that is incredibly instructive. It says we call him, and in the Aramaic language, it says we call him Abba, Father. Do you know what? Do you know what Abba means? If you were here at Encounter on Wednesday night, you know, because I talked about it then too. Abba means daddy, papa, daddy, daddy. Hey, I've, um, I've told you guys a bit, you know, and some of you, I've told you a lot as we've talked personally. Um, and then from time to time, I've referred to it in church as well. But last few years for me has been a pretty deep and searching time. And you know, one of the things that I grew up wanting to do and to be, and, and wanting it, I would say, probably just about more than anything else on earth, <laughs> was I'm thinking, I want to be a really, really good husband, and I want to be a really, really good dad. Um, I don't, and, and I don't want to do that for my sake, I don't... I, I don't want to, or primarily for my sake, I want to do it because I just, I just think that's the way that I can make the most difference on earth. Be a good dad and a good husband. And 
what happened for me, you know, in, in, in a nutshell, you know, um, was that now that I look back, I can see that I had some really deep emotional wounds. Uh, and, and they actually meant that I had quite a bit of anxiety in my life. But I, but I didn't know. Because I grew up thinking like that. It had been there since I was, you know, before I was 10 years old. Uh, in actual fact, you know, the, the best I work out has probably been there since I was more like about two years old. And I got this, this beautiful photo now that I, I keep in my journal. And, and it's, it's two photos, actually. And I've just got them. It's just on a piece of paper that I've put them on there. And it's photos of my two boys. Now, Hayley, my daughter, is in the photo as well. Um, and, and that's good because... She's good, but the, the purpose of the photo is for the boys, right? Because the, the photo with Levi and Haley in it, Levi's about 20 months old. And then the photo with Jake, and it's Jake, a photo of Jake all by himself, he's just on two years old. And the reason I keep these photos is because that's one of the ways that God's shown me and helped me, and I've still got a long way to go in this, but when I, when I look at those photos, what I'm actually trying to do is to imagine myself at that age again, yeah? And it's really important to be able to do that. And I've had a lot of help with the psych, with a, I've got a great psychologist I've been seeing, a lot of help to do that. And so I look at those photos really regularly, not maybe every single day, but most days. And, and what happened was, if I look back now, this had been in my life for a long, long time, but it, it sort of, it was always manageable, always managed to, you know, hold it together. And when it particularly showed up, for me, was when I got separated from my kids. And so especially if I was going on some sort of a trip, uh, and especially, you know, like a mission trip around church, or, and then because Deb's from Canada, then if there were times when we would be separated, you know, myself and the kids, then it would be really hard for me. And when it really all came, you know, onto the radar, and I just could not ignore it, and, and you guys, I mean, if you've been around the church, you'll remember, because I, I shared it with you at the time, but in December... 2011 and then January 2012 Deb's dad was involved in an accident in Canada and he died um, and we had just a very short notice of time when he was on life support in hospital um, in which time we got Deb onto a flight the next day and then I left with the kids the day after that and we went over there and he died he actually died before Deb ended up getting on the plane to go over there um, and then we were there for the funeral, and then I was coming back, and if you remember, we were going to, we did do a, a mission trip from, from church here to the Philippines, and I was going to be going on that, and so I was coming back from Canada for the trip, and Deb and the kids were going to stay in Canada for a bit longer, and I just remember as I was standing in the line at Toronto Airport, just literally, literally about to give my boarding pass and get on the flight, I was just overwhelmed with this sense of panic inside you know now you wouldn't even have known if you were standing there beside me that it wasn't so much you know I didn't have physical symptoms as inside I just thought what am I doing I can't do this and I, I got on the, the flight and I was you know flew to LA and and it was a really really difficult time for me got to LA managed to sort of hold it together for a little bit but then got on the flight from LA to Sydney and you guys that's the most horrific 15 hours of my life ever, like for everything that's ever happened. And you say, what was horrific? Because if you were sitting beside me, you, you wouldn't have known. 
Internally, I thought I was going to go crazy. I thought I was going to absolutely go crazy. And I was doing everything I could think of. Like I was praying, I was worshipping, I got my journal out, I was writing in my journal, I was listening to worship music, I was doing every, all, all the stuff that I could think of. You know, I was doing breathing exercises, I didn't really know how to do them, but I was trying to breathe really slowly. And, you know, I was doing everything. But it was like, no, 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 no. Like, oh, nothing's helping. And then just, you know, long story short, fast forward, since then, that's been a really um, difficult and long journey for me. So I, I realised then, like, this is now, like, the, you know, mate, you can't ignore this. Like, this is not, this is not manageable. This is not nice. And so going on that journey of searching, and, and I, just for the sake of different people, I, I don't want to go into detail right now publicly as to the as to what happened um, I can tell you like because people automatically think of sexual abuse here I was not sexually abused all right um, but I had some really really difficult childhood experiences and I've shared those with with many of you I'd share them with any of you now if we we're talking one-on-one -on -one, but I just don't want to do it you know in front of like I don't want to do it in a public setting I don't think that's appropriate and um, and so that impacted deeply on me and then when I look back what I realize so if you wouldn't mind just putting that verse up again for us Carolyn and th you know the the story that I just told you about um, that God doesn't make us slaves who are afraid of him instead we become his children and we call him our father I realized that I had and I have really really significant issues getting used to that idea in my life that God is a father, papa, daddy, who has designs for nothing but my good. It, when it comes to my life, nothing but my good. And after all that time, and you're like, well, man, Jeff, you're a 53-year-old pastor. You ought to have that worked out by now because you're telling us about it every Sunday. Yeah, I'm telling you about it every Sunday, but... I'm still working this out in my life. And God's helping me to work it out as well, bit by bit by bit. Um, I have these, these recollections of things that my father said or did. You know, a, a, a stark memory that I have is we were on holidays. We used to go every Easter to Queenscliff, you know, down past Geelong on holidays. And I remember... One day, and I was a young guy, I can only, I'm thinking I must have been, you know, nine, ten years old. And we were out on the, it was, and this was before it's all been rebuilt since, but it was the old jetty or the pier at Queenscliff there. And now it's this massive big, you know, ferry that goes between Queenscliff and Sorrento. Back then it was just like a little, you know, like it was a little wooden boat. <laughs> and... And the ferry had pulled in and we'd, we'd just gone out on the jetty just to see the ferry pulled in. I, I don't remember who else was there. I just know it was at least Dad and I. And they, all they did was they just tied, the, tied the, the ferry up, you know, the big wooden um, bollards that, they, that they'll tie a boat onto. And so they tie it up with the ropes. And it was a really choppy and it was rainy. It was a really choppy day and windy. And so the, jetty, the, 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 the boat's going up and down, that sort of stuff. And can you, like, you've probably heard it before, and the ropes were like creaking, really, like it was that really loud creaking as they, as they bore against the bollards. And I was absolutely sure that the jetty was going to fall in the water and we were going to, you know, like we were, we were going to drown. Like I was absolutely petrified. 
and I can still remember my dad just, just like, and I want to, like, I'm trying to drag him. Well, I want to get off the jetty. We've got to get onto safe ground, you know? And him gently refusing to leave the jetty and just telling me, hey, it's okay. It's okay. I remember years later, it was just short of Jake's first birthday. I was just about to lead a mission trip from the church that I was working in at the time. We were going to, um, we were going to Indonesia. And um, I couldn't leave the same day that the team left because I had to conduct a wedding that afternoon. I had a busy run. I'd had a wedding the afternoon before. Then that morning, I go to the airport to see the team off. And then that afternoon, I've got another wedding I've got to conduct. And then I'm going to leave the next morning and fly. And I'm going to go to some different airports in Indonesia. And then by about, um, I'm going to go to Bali, then to Jakarta, and then to Ujung Pandang. And then by then, at about one o'clock in the morning, the rest of the team is going to actually, they're going to have been shopping all day in Ujung Pandang. And now they're going to be there at the airport. And they'll actually literally get onto my plane. Like, they'll get onto the same plane that I'm on. We'll fly the rest of the way. So I've got all these hours that I'm going to be by myself, you know. And I get to the airport to see the team off. And this was at a time, if you remember, it was back um, in 19... 19, uh, sorry, the year 2000, and there, there was a lot of political unrest in Irian Jaya in Indonesia at the time, the independence fight, and so that's why we call it Papua now, because it's a province of Indonesia, but the, 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 like the people of Papua, or of Irian Jaya, as it was called then, wanted their independence from Indonesia. So there was a lot of fighting and war going on, and, and um, what had happened was it had really intensified in those last few days. And so some of the team, we had 11 of us going on the team, some of them were pretty panicked about going there. I've been getting all these phone calls at the wedding the day before and from parents and that sort of stuff. And I'm talking to my friends, the missionaries there who are going to be looking after us, and they're like, Jeff, it's fine. Like, we're not going to let you come here if you're, if you're at risk. It's fine. Just, you know, just go ahead and come. And... So I'm trying to communicate that to the team. We get to the airport and there was, there was just a fair bit of pressure and angst and hostility around because of all this. And, and so like I, I gather everyone together and, and, and I say, hey, friends, just before we go and book in, so we've got all of the team members, young people, and then their families, yeah? And I say, just before we go and book in, um, I, like I recognise that there's a bit of, bit of hassle about this. So I fully recognise, and you could feel it. You know, and like they're like, yeah, there is a bit of hassle, you know, you know. And, and I say, so listen, I just, I just want to be clear here. No one has to go on this trip. If, if you do not want to go, you, no shame. You don't have to go. My advice, and I trust the advice completely, is that we are going to be safe. And I said, hey, the day we get home is going to be my son's first birthday. Uh, like, I, I don't want to go to a dangerous environment. Um, I'm coming home to my son, so hey, if you, I think it's okay to go, um, but if you don't want to go, and then one of the dads, and it turns out, you know, from, from, from this, this whole group of people, one of the dads who wasn't part of our church actually himself is, um, I won't even say what church, but like he's a minister, he's a pastor like me, and he, he lets rip at me in front of everyone there. Well, I think, you know, I think you're being irresponsible. And like, he really let me have it in front of everyone, you know. Best I could, I just, just took it and then I, I didn't even reply. Like, I just sort of let it with that. Now, it turns out then everyone checked in. Everyone said they wanted to go on the trip. 
We get them on the plane. And I get back, and I get back to the church. I'm getting ready now for a wedding that afternoon. I'm going to be saying goodbye to my family for a couple of weeks. And I'm thinking, I'm just trying to do the right thing. Getting all this angst and static, and all I want to do is the right thing. And you know what I thought to do? I called my dad, you know, called dad. And as soon as he answered on the phone, we start talking. And then I just completely broke down on the phone. I just lost it. Like it didn't help. You know, I was, ex- I was exhausted. I had a real big few weeks. I was exhausted. I was tired. The pressure of it all, you know, and the whole thing. And I just broke. And I can still remember dad speaking to me over the phone and speaking these beautiful words. Like it was, it was beautiful, beautiful words of peace and of love and then um, I went home and you remember this Deb so then next thing mum and dad turned up at our house and I would normally go to church at night time because I was the youth pastor um, and they turned up and they said hey listen we'll look after Jake he's just a little baby Deb you go to church with Deb with with Jeff you know so I have these beautiful memories of my dad um, and and they're good memories and they're memories of a father who's doing just what a father can do. Not making me a slave to fear, not making me someone who's scared of him, but, um, but allowing me to call him my father, daddy. Not all my memories of childhood and not all my memories of authority figures are good memories. I've got some terrible ones the ones that are causing the wounds but there's also some beautiful ones you see that when when we come to know Jesus he doesn't make us slaves who are afraid of him Um, you know the language there actually said slaves to fear that's that's what it means so he doesn't make us slaves to fear see if you're a slave to fear you got no choice that's just the way you are. You're scared, you're fearful, and there's no way of breaking out that, breaking out of that. God doesn't make us slaves to fear. He gives us the spirit, it says. He gives us the spirit, and, and, and the Greek language actually said he gives us the spirit of sonship, S-O-N, ship. It doesn't mean male sonship. It gives us the spirit of being a child of the Father. And by him, by that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. That's why we call him our Father. Um, that's, the way that, that's the way that God works in our lives. Fast forward, you know, like it's been a, it's been a really tough and searching journey for me. And, it, and it's not without collateral damage and, and, help, and, and help along the way. Um, and sometimes, you know, in there, maybe not sometimes, maybe oftentimes, we have to walk through a valley, and sometimes it's a very, very deep valley, and sometimes it's a very long valley. We have to walk through that to experience the healing and the wholeness and the beauty and the love and the restoration that Jesus wants to bring into our lives. 
as a good father. Um, early, early in the peace, you know, after these last few years, early in the peace, one of my good friends, Dave, his name is, he sent me, um, he sent me this verse. Take a look at it. It's from Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. He sent me this and he said, um, for, this is God speaking, he said, for I'm about to do something new. I'm about to do something new. See, I've already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I'll create rivers in the dry wastelands. And Dave, my friend, declared this as a word of God over the life of Jeff Shepherd. Jeff, do you see that I'm about to do something new here? Something new. I've actually already begun doing it. You, do you see? And good old God, you know, like he, when you say, he says, do you not see it? He knows I don't see it yet. <laughs> Back then. And he said, what I'm going to do, Jeff, is I'm going to make a pathway through the wilderness and I'm going to create rivers in the dry wasteland. Yeah. And what my friend said, and, and trust me, like it actually made me little tiny bit angry when he said it because I didn't like it he said Jeff God is not going to rescue you out of the wilderness he's going to mark a pathway through the wilderness God's not going to pull off a helicopter rescue here and lift you up out of it and make you feel okay again he's going to actually find you a way and he's going to make a roadway or pathway through the wilderness so you get through it, but it won't be by getting out of it. Make sense? And, and what that means is that it's, it's a new thing. And there's a whole lot of implications to that too. If you're going to have a new thing in your life, then the old thing's not going to be there anymore. In actual fact, if you, if you want God to do a new thing, then you have to be able to say goodbye to the old thing. And that's part of what he told me. And so, you know, um, many years ago now, it's many years ago, Haley was just a little girl. Um, it was before we lived where we're living now. We're living in South Morang. And I came home one day, and I think maybe Deb was in the backyard or something like that. Because, I mean, Deb would have been home because Haley was just really small. And, um, and I walk in, but Deb was nowhere to be seen. It was just Haley, and she's sitting there at, the, at our kitchen table. And there's all this... <laughs> There's all this screwed up paper everywhere around her, you know? It's just everywhere. And, um, and she's looking really distraught. She's in tears. I say, Haley, like it's just a, it looks really, I say, Haley, what's wrong, sweetie? She's like, oh, I'm, I'm just a dumbhead. I'm just a dumbhead, you know? Like I hadn't heard that word before, a dumbhead, but anyway, like, I'm just a dumbhead. I can't draw. And it turns out what the poor girl's been doing for the last however long, because there's a lot of pieces of screwed up paper around, she's been trying to draw a picture. And it's not working for her. She, well, she feels like it's not working. She feels like she can't draw. And she's absolutely down on herself. And she just kept on saying, I'm just a dumbhead, I'm just a dumbhead, I can't draw. You know, she screwed up another bit of paper right, right while I was there, you know. And you know what? I never even knew what I was doing then. 
I just did what came naturally to me. She wouldn't look at me. She's just this tiny little girl. I walk up to her at, at the table and I remember putting my hands under, you know, un, under her chin. And I, I'm not, not even planning this. I just put my hands under her chin and I lift her face up so she's looking at me. I'm like, Haley, you, you're not a dumb head. And I can, I can still remember saying to her, Haley, you are the most precious girl on the face of the earth. You're not a dumbhead. You know, there's this beautiful phrase, it's in Psalm 3, if you ever want to look it up. And you might have heard it before where it says uh, that, that, that God, uh, God, you are the glory and the lifter of my head. The lifter of my head. And I didn't know that what that meant then I've, I've learned since you know that it's literally that God lifts our face to him he says hey look at me you are who I say you are you are chosen you're not forsaken I'm for you I'm not against you I'm Abba Father That's part of what I'm learning, friends. Abba Father. Good, good Father. No imperfection. No letting down. No lack of love. No lack of wisdom. Even in the times when the evidence suggests otherwise. He's not. Can I pray for you? This morning, let's pray. Thanks for listening a bit to my story. I haven't told you quite as much as I was planning to, but I think I'm just trusting that what I've told you is what the, the Holy Spirit wants you to hear this morning. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, that you're a good, good Father. Thank you. Thank you that you give us not a spirit of fear, a spirit that makes us afraid of you, a spirit that suggests that we can't really trust you to look after us. A spirit that suggests that if we, if we let go of our hold, then you'll screw us over, that you, like you'll, you'll actually do something that's not so good for us. A spirit that makes us think that if we if we abandon ourselves to you, then you, you'll make us do things that we don't want to do. Spirit that says that you don't have our best interests at heart. Uh, thank you, Lord, that that's not the spirit you gave us. You gave us the spirit of sonship, being your child. By that spirit, we cry, Abba, Father. So. Um, Lord, I just ask you now that with the little story that I've shared just a bit of today, I'd, I'd love it if we could um, spend the rest of our time together and, and leave here today on Father's Day. I'd love it if we could walk out of here not really thinking so much about Jeff and Jeff's story, is thinking about what Jeff's story would tell us. Good, good father. 
Abba Father, Papa, Daddy. And Lord, that step by step you'd take each one of us because you know where each one of us is at and that you'd just lead us lovingly as you hold our hand and just walk with us, that you'd lead us lovingly to where you want us to be and lead us in the paths of healing and of restoration, forgiveness and understanding. And most of all, Lord Jesus, please, lead us to relationship with you. Any of us here who don't know that yet this morning, please lead us into that. We thank you so much for your love. We thank you so much for your love, for your goodness. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.